0: Welcome to the Redemption Tempe podcast, where we believe all of life is all for Jesus. I am your host, AC. I'm here with the Tina Dare and Jake Slobodnik. You guys know Tina from last week, but Jake, uh, do you mind introducing yourself real quick?
1: Yep. Okay, my name's Jake. I am uh, one of the pastors at Redemption Tempe. I oversee everything from uh, middle school, high school, and college. And I spend most of my weeks actually on ASU campus doing campus ministry and evangelism at the Tempe campus of ASU.
0: That's pretty awesome, man. Yeah. Um, so you get to see people come to know God, come to know Christ.
1: That's the hope and That's prayer. The
0: hope. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice. So as you guys know, we are going through a series right now in Advent called The Word. Historically, Advent has been a time where we reflect on the coming of Christ in such a way that it stirs our affections toward him and looking forward to the consummation of the kingdom. And so, in light of that, uh, we've been going through this series on the podcast where we look at different spiritual rhythms, um, so that we can stoke our affections towards Christ. When we when we're talking about like, what does it mean to know God? What would you say, Tina? What, what does that mean? Now, that's a Christian phrase we kind of throw around, but what does that mean?
2: Yeah, I think what's really important is to consider the way that we use that word in our culture and not get it confused, because we only have one word for know. Like in Spanish, there's the personal word of knowing and then knowing about things. And I think oftentimes it's really easy to fall into the category of knowing about God. I mean, on social media, we can know a ton about people without actually knowing them. And so I think knowing God is intimate. It's relational. He invites us into a relationship with him. Um, We also, we know God through his acts um, rather than just through His attributes or things that we can learn about him, but we see him acting in history, especially through Christ. And then lastly, I think we know him through our obedience um, because that is... The relationship that we are as creator and creature, as we respond to him in obedience and love, um, we, we know him and we grow in that knowledge of him.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, that's really good. And uh, as we talk about getting to know God more and, and for the rest of the episode talking about different spiritual rhythms to getting, uh, that help us to get to know God more, I know that if there was a family feud question of what are the top five ways that people can get to know God, I'm pretty sure the top answer that most people would probably say is the Bible. I'm curious, has that always been this way? Why is reading the Bible so high on the list of spiritual rhythms? When people think of spiritual rhythms and drawing near to God, why is the Bible at the top of the list? What do you think, Jake?
1: Well, I think it has always been on the top of the list. I think you look at scripture and you see the story of Acts and the early church being formed, and the number one thing that they dedicate themselves to is The Holy Scriptures, the teaching of the apostles, prayer, among other things. But right up there, early on, the church spent a ton of time devoting themselves to listening to the word of God. I think being on the top of the list is is a natural and good gut flinch for people to have. The way to know God is to be around God. And I think about what it means to know God. I think of the only probably good example I have is knowing other people, maybe thinking about knowing my own wife. And the only way I can know my wife, Lexi, is if I spend time with her, if I'm near her, if I'm where she is or doing a thing she likes to do, I could be around her, I could watch her, I can interact with her. And the most available way we can experience and get to know God is by being around his story and knowing how he acts in history, because that's what the Bible is. It's a record of how God has worked in history. And so to know God and not just a know about God way, we have to know how God has worked in history in the past to get an idea of who he is.
0: It's really good. You mentioned that the Bible is God's recorded acts in history. And we hear it around the church often here at Redemption, that the Bible is a story and that we have to read it like a story. Why would you say that's important? And what practical difference does that make while I'm reading it?
1: Hmm. Well, what practical difference it's going to make while reading it is you really, there's a lot within the scriptures that you are going to get wrong, not be able to understand well, or might not make sense by not understanding the rest of the Bible. So you you always got to read scripture and got to read the Bible in light of the rest of scripture and in light of the rest of the Bible. The importance of reading the Bible as as one story, firstly, is... That's how it presents itself. Like it comes to us as a record of the history of God working in our world and specifically working in Israel. And then we see working in his son, Jesus, and then in the early life of the apostles in the early church. So the reason we got to take it as a story is because the Bible actually gives itself... As a story. It doesn't come, namely, as a long list of rules. It doesn't come in a ton of theological propositions, though there are things like that in the scriptures there. Read it from start to finish, and what you will find is that it is a story. And so, with any kind of reading anything, whether it be reading poetry, whether it be reading fiction, you have to treat the book how it actually is, or you're going to get a lot of things wrong.
0: I was just thinking about that. Like, I don't pick up a book the same way that I look at my lease agreement if I'm trying to check something. Like, if I'm looking at my lease agreement, I'm poring over every single word and making sure that I understand every little technical aspect about it because that's what it is. It's a lease agreement.
1: Right. You think about something. I mean, if you did the same thing for any other book, you take Lord of the Rings and then you compare it next to the Constitution of the United States. You're gonna get a lot of things wrong. You're gonna be really confused. You're gonna not know what is going on and be wondering what's going on with the elves, the orcs, like None of this makes sense at all. Vice versa, if you did that with the Constitution of the United States. So if you take the scriptures and you lay them next to a list of laws or moral codes, even though there's a lot of that in the scriptures, you're gonna get a lot wrong. You're gonna get a lot of things that you miss about the core of what is God is trying to communicate to his people and why he's trying to communicate that. If you do not treat seriously that what we have been given is God's story as he works in history, and the climactic moment of that history is Jesus. That's why you can get a lot of things wrong about Jesus without the rest of the story.
0: That's really good. I know that the church that I came from, we talked about reading the Bible in three easy steps—observation, interpretation, application— Uh, If you were with us here at Redemption uh, a couple years ago, when we did the True Story Project, we had the squid books. So we had, you know, every letter corresponded for a different step in reading the Bible. When I Google how to read the Bible, the first result is a completely different six easy steps. So it seems like everywhere I turn, there's different ways of, of reading the Bible. When I sit down and open the pages of Scripture, how should I read it?
2: Yeah, I think the most important thing is just to not to wait. Until we figure out how to read the Bible to do it. First of all, there's no way to figure it out. Um, it's it is this complex and beautiful. Every year you read through it, or every time you come back to a new text, it can be new and exciting each time. So I think. I think that, don't wait to read it. Um, don't be overwhelmed by it. Trust that God is going to meet you and grow you. I think it's a muscle that we need to grow, just like anything. You can't expect uh, that we're going to just figure it out overnight. But I think one thing that's really helpful is get in community. Learn from each other. Um, find a mentor. Find a wise person with a couple of gray hairs. And if their life looks like Jesus there's a good chance that they have a good approach to reading scripture. And so learn from them, read the Bible with them. Um, modeling is a huge way to do it. I do think that there is benefit in following um, something like the like the squid approach that you said, AC. That was created after some really wise people. And it was meant to engage scripture through the lens of all of life is all for Jesus. So what does it look like to... Read the story and consider our culture and consider our role in the story and respond to it. So just thinking about what is the gospel for and um, what is our role in it and just kind of being shaped by that as you read.
0: Awesome. Awesome. What would you add to that, Jake?
1: I remember somebody, I don't remember who told me this, but they had given an illustration of setting the limbo bar. And helping people, leading people. And one of the things they said is set the limbo bar so low that people can't trip over it. Mm. And so what I would say about scripture, because I have tried to read scripture a million different ways. And I feel like I'm always trying to figure out rhythms in my life that can actually bring life. I, I, I would say read something and understand something. If you've never read the scriptures before, read for 60 seconds every day. And that's it. And I know that sounds so ridiculous, but if you sit down when you wake up in the morning before you jump on Instagram and you read for 60 seconds the scriptures and that's the only thing you have to do, then you're much less likely to go, oh, it seems like a huge thing, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to read. Read something for 60 seconds and then move on with your day. And what you'll find is that the more you do, get a rhythm of that, it'll become two minutes, it'll become five minutes, it'll become 20 minutes, it'll become something that's a regular rhythm of your life. So the only thing I would add to what Tina said is wherever you're at, start with something really easy. And, and work from there. Don't make like, I've done this a million times. I'm going to make this huge plan. I'm going to read 40 chapters in a day and have start, stop, get discouraged. I'll take the advice from my brother when he talks about sports fitness. He says, working out is good. Not working out is bad. And if you work out really hard the first time and never have, you're going to throw up, never want to do it again and quit forever.
0: So love it. There you go. <laughs> love it. Love it. Don't throw up when you read the Bible. <laughs> read the Bible. <laughs> yes. Jake, a lot of people uh, ask, where should I start? You know, some people think, I know I talked to someone before and they started, uh, they were told the Gospel of John. So they started there and then they were frustrated because they felt like they were skipping over a lot of it. And then I've talked to some people who try to start in Genesis, but then once it gets like Exodus Leviticus, they just drop off. And so, what what do you think?
1: You know, I've heard stories of people starting reading the Bible all over the place and God working in those ways. Gospel of John, if anything, if you could only read one book out of the Bible, I would want someone to read one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It doesn't really matter which place you start. John is a great one to start, and there's a lot of reasons why people have recommended it first, but it's also got a lot of things in there that are incredibly confusing. But here's the deal. If you start reading the Bible for the first time, or you don't have a regular rhythm of reading the Bible, you're going to get confusing parts no matter what. Write in your Bible, make a little circle, little question mark, and just move on. And if you can come back and get that answer later, go for it. But don't stop because there are parts that are confusing because it is a story. And because it's a story, and we don't treat it that way very often, there's foreshadowing, or there's parts that look backwards, or there's like little hints, little clues of things to come. And it doesn't make much sense in the moments we get frustrated and we quit versus just taking it for what it is and moving forward. If you can read the entire book of the Bible and set out to do it and actually complete it, then I would say start reading Genesis and read it from start to finish because what you'll find is it is a story and also you're going to get all the fun of like, oh my gosh, here's this climactic moment. Here's this, wow, when Jesus comes on the scene, it's going to be like a miracle for you. If somebody can only start in one place and only read a little bit though, I would say go read the Gospel of Mark because you can sit down and read the Gospel of Mark from start to finish in an hour and 15 minutes at about the normal reading pace. It's the most straightforward gospel. So I would say, start reading the Gospel of Mark. If you can finish that, read the rest of the Gospels. If you can finish that, Go to Genesis and read the whole Bible.
0: Mm, nice. What, what about uh, for those of us who who struggle with consistency? It, you know, I've I've tried to read the Bible. I've maybe I've read John. I read Genesis. I even made it halfway, like two or three months into a read the Bible in a year plan, but it seems to always sputter out, just like my New Year's resolutions. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. what would you say to someone who, who's?
1: I would just at first I would encourage people in that that happens to everybody. And you're going to get that no matter what kind of rhythm that you try to start. And my encouragement would be just keep going, set the bar low, and start something and then finish it, even if it has to take a, a while. Um, If you're at a season, I have seasons of life where I have plenty of time to read scripture. It feels like my mornings are real slow. I can definitely jump in and get a couple of chapters in before my day goes on. And then there are seasons where to get five minutes in the word is a desperate battle. And so I would just say, whatever is going on in life to like shift it a little bit, but keep moving forward. The Bible plan that I use really now, and I've had a ton of them, is read something in the Old Testament, something in the New Testament, and then a psalm for the day. And if I have a crazy morning, I will just read one part of that and move on. And usually it's only just a chapter out of scripture. I think that it's good to get a rhythm more than anything. So start small. Like if you've never had a rhythm, then just read one chapter. You can get up in the morning and read that and move on pretty quickly.
0: So... It seems to be the way that God has made his creation. Because even in, in, in the sense of like, if I'm going to work out and I want to get some really nice muscle gains or whatever, like, you don't start off with the highest weights. yeah You have to build up incrementally. And it yeah. seems like all of life seems to be that way. Yeah. You know, we're always looking for the quick lotto ticket to success or to knowledge or to a degree or to an understanding of God's word. But it seems more and more that it's that like, I think of Proverbs 30 of the ant, you know, and the wisdom of the ant that builds little by little by little.
1: Yeah which we have no patience for anything remotely like that. But I think about like when you're talking about like eating or working out or anything like that, you could work out really hard for three hours and then be sore for a week and not touch the weights. Or you can work out somewhat and then work out for like 30 minutes and then go the next day. Or you can do like 15 pushups every couple of hours throughout the day. One of the most beneficial like practices that I've had has actually been not to set a time during the day just in the morning, but have my scripture reading breaking up throughout the the entire day. So I've set times throughout the day where I'll just read for 30 seconds or move on and that has been one of the more helpful things.
2: And I think emotionally, we when we like the analogy of the gym is great because oftentimes we get stuck in this like shameful feeling of I was going to go to the gym today, but instead I had a whole pizza to myself and finished it off with some ice cream. So I'm not going to go to the gym for a week because. And but I think that that like cycle of of self defeating and shame we get that with the Bible too. We feel like like I'll come to God in the day and be like, Oh shoot, I didn't read my Bible today, so maybe my prayers don't really count, or maybe you're not going to hear me or honor what I have to say. And I think encouragement that that's not how God works. His word is an invitation at all points and it's a means of grace. It's a way that he blesses us and it's always open to us. Um, but it's not a requirement to come to him, Think something we have to check off. And so being encouraged that it, there's no tally marks, God's not keeping track. Um, he just desires to know us and be known by us. So,
0: And if you have an inkling of a desire to read the Bible, that's actually a response God's been pursuing you like you said it's an invitation. Yeah. Hmm. So switching gears a little bit, a lot of times when we think about reading the Bible, we tend to only think about it in one way and that is, you know, inductive Bible study. But there are other ways of reading scripture. Uh one is lectio divina. Uh, Tina, what is that?
2: Yeah so it's a practice that the church has practiced since basically the beginning of time. No it is it, it's an, it's a very old practice that was done especially before the printing press before we all had bibles in our hands um when it was an oral culture because these people were remembering scripture, they were hearing scripture, they couldn't um, just open their Bibles up and and read, you know, from start to finish or whatever point they wanted to. And so these little phrases and these little points of scripture being spoken and being meditated on and reflected over were really important and powerful to shape God's people. Um, but I think it has a lot of benefit for us today. So essentially what it is, is if you look Google it online, you'll find a bunch of, I'm assuming they're Latin words that, yeah, meditatio and whatever, which just means meditate. But there's five steps. And it's coming before God in silence, um, reading God's word, responding to it in prayer, um, and contemplating God's word. And so there's a lot of different ways it can be done, but the goal of this type of reading of scripture is... I've, I've read it said that instead of coming to it to what we sometimes do wanting to master the text. So we want to learn and study and get everything right and, and sort of be masters of the Bible. It's meant to put ourselves under scripture and, and be mastered by it to be, um, searched out, like the psalmist says in 139, to be searched by God's word and by the spirit. And so it's, it's a very, um, yeah, contemplative form where we give space for the Holy Spirit to just illuminate things in the text and um, help us to meet God. in that, like we talked about, what does it mean to know God? It, it really does emphasize that intimate knowing of God.
0: Mm-hmm. And Jake, you have a story, right, about uh, one of your first experiences doing Lectio? Yeah. I didn't even know it was called Lectio Divina.
1: I, someone told me that. I was like, what is that? But essentially, the first time that I started doing this was just somebody teaching me to pray through the Psalms. And one of the things that I just hear in Tina talking, thinking about this, is that most of the time our scripture reading is completely individual, and uh, and I think that's because now we can get our Bibles on an app, we can get them for super cheap in paper copy, which is a beautiful thing. It's been become really easy to get the Bible, but. Making things easy necessarily isn't always good, and so what it's made is that the Bible usually, when we're reading it, is an individual experience. My first experience of doing Lectio Divina was reading the Psalms out loud with a group of people, and every person would go line by line. Verse one, I would read the verse out loud, and then as soon as I got done with that verse, I would pray that verse. Whatever God put on my heart in that moment. If I didn't know what to pray, then the person who's walking me through this would just say, just say that verse again out loud and just meditate on it and be still before it. And so those have been some of the more profound and powerful experiences that I've had of reading scripture out loud with groups and praying is through Lectio Divina. And I've tried Lectio Divina on my own. And sometimes it's been cool, but most of the time, those best experiences have been with others. There's just something about the scriptures that I think it actually is written to be read communally, read out loud, read prayerfully and listening and patiently versus grabbing it like every other book, reading it when I feel like, putting it down when I'm done.
0: Yeah, I I feel like um, spiritual rhythms in general, but particularly with Lectio, to your point, that when we do it in community, it's like multiplication, not addition. Even this conversation— it's not just three people adding in their own pieces, but I feel like when you're in community talking about the things of God, it, there's like an exponential effect of what comes out of that and, hmm. and how beneficial it can be. So what about you, Tina? How and when have the scriptures been the voice of God to you? Can you tell us about a time when the scriptures brought you into the presence of Christ?
2: Yeah, I, I think about a time when I when I was doing like Dio Divina, actually – and I think it really is just the sheer nature. It's not, it's not the formula of it, but the sheer nature of giving myself space to let the spirit really bring up things in my heart. Cause I think we're so busy and there's always so much information and exchange happening at all points in time that it's so quick to read something and move on. But I remember a time I was reading, um, John 14 and I'm reading this text of Jesus addressing his disciples before he's about to die and, and really thinking like, okay, what, where is my heart in this? Jesus is, is addressing his closest friends in this really intimate time. Like, what is the spirit saying to me? And verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. And I just remember getting stuck on that verse and feeling the spirit revealed to me that just this fear of being being left alone by God, um, like he would call me to something and then he wouldn't be faithful in that. And just feeling the sense of Jesus's intimacy with his friends and this promise that he made to them um, and how tender that was and really feeling the spirit uh, speak those words of Christ to me. I will not leave you. I will be there like this really secure promise.
0: Mm, mm, mm. That's good. That's really good. I, I think of uh, a time for me it was when uh, Ricardo mentioned this months ago when we were in Ephesians, but he, when he talked about spiritual warfare and how spiritual warfare can often take place when you're asleep. And I've been through seasons in my life where I've felt plagued by spiritual warfare in my sleep, and, and it really affected me in a lot of ways. But I remember one time being in the midst of that and and praying, you know, God, please just, I was just reduced to just God beat him. Like the, there was no like eloquence to my prayers. just like, God, just please beat him. And I remember immediately a scripture flashing in my mind and I went and I read it and I have never felt so tranquil in the presence of God as just like this warm Father embracing me, and it was uh, in Colossians where it talks about the principalities and powers have been disarmed, and it was just a little short clip of that verse, but mm. was just huge for me and bringing me into the presence of Christ, and so there's Lectio Divina. I know there's also just meditation. Now, Tina, is there a difference between Lectio Divina and meditation or is it the same? Or
2: Yeah, I think there's a lot of overlap. I, I think one thing about meditation is you can meditate on God's word. You can meditate on how God reveals Himself in creation, how God reveals Himself through people—it it really is the emphasis I think on meditation is giving ourselves space to really focus on the things of God and let that just work itself out. Um, and and I, yeah, I think the emphasis is on really seeking to see God and behold God. Um, so it—I mean, I don't think we need to draw strong lines between the two, but
0: sure, sure. And I know sometimes some of us when we hear the word meditation. A warning flag goes up right away. We start thinking of Eastern religions and things like that. Is there a difference between, quote unquote, Christian meditation and other forms of meditation?
2: Yeah. I think something really interesting about that is sometimes we can get really protective against religions from a faraway land and those gods and be really like oh we don't want to come close to that but we're not aware of our own gods Mm. um and i think meditation is actually a way to push back against the gods that we tend to um that tend to be the idols of our culture that we tend to bow down to so for example the god of entertainment we put violent images and sexual images into our mind and we fill our minds with so many things that aren't reflective of the kingdom and so meditation is a way to clear our minds of that and think on the things of god Or our minds are filled with consumer images of different items that are going to bring us happiness. And we think about how we can buy those things or get those things and those fill our minds or our to-do list fill our minds. And our gods of progress and just our gods of humanism are what really are captivating our hearts. So I think meditation gives us a chance to come face to face with our own gods and to put those things aside and to worship the one living God and to hold Him. And I think we have to do that because we really live in a time where our minds aren't quiet. They're not going to get quiet on their own, and so I think it's it's essential that we intentionally make our minds quiet in order to meet God.
0: So, what does that look like? Just walk me through. Like I've never done any type of meditation before, but I want to do that. I want to make space to 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 quiet myself and hear from God and push against the gods of my culture. How would I do that?
2: Yeah, and so I think the difference, you know, we would say difference between Eastern meditation or Westerner would be well, Christian meditation would be the the object of our meditation, and so. We want to focus on Christ and that could look like a million things. So the Christ that was present in creation that made all things, the Christ that is reflected in the person across the table from me, the cross and what it looks like to love someone through dying to ourselves at the cross. So I think it's anything that intentionally envisions how the gospel shapes our world. And so for me personally, I think it's so easy. I think it's way easier to do it in, in nature just to get away. I think it's, it's like really essential to get away from our technology, away from our phones, because it really is giving ourselves enough time to have more than 20 seconds of a clear mind before that text message pops up or we reach for, you know, the Facebook app or whatever it may be. So I think getting away, giving ourselves a certain amount of time. The reason for me that it is really helpful to be in nature is because There is this sense of our creatureliness, the sense of we are one among this vastness of what God created that makes it really easy to come into God's presence. But that's not, that's not the only way you can do it. I know Jim Mullen's Likes to go to the airport because um, <laughs> it just embodies, you know, the center of the city. It's not, you know? it's not busy there at all. Yeah, it's not busy there at all. I don't know if that would be meditation, more <laughs> prayer for him, but you, you, I think you really can do it anywhere. It ha- just has to be intentional. We have mm-hmm. to be um, cognizant of our space. And whether it's meditating on one word or meditating on one reality of Christ, um, but just, yeah, invite asking God to, to reveal himself to us.
0: For sure. You mentioned Jim, right? Uh, we talk about Jim all the time on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> and so one of his uh, creations is shaped by the story. And so, Tina, can you tell us what that is and how that can help us to know God more?
2: Yeah, so one easy way sort of to get the the story arc of Scripture is um, there's these six symbols that we use to kind of make it simple, and that's creation, fall or rebellion, the promise uh, through Israel, redemption of the cross and resurrection, um, the church, which is the obviously the time that we're living in now, and then restoration or the time when Christ will come and make all things new and bring his kingdom to earth. And so Shaped by the Story is... Um, um, we, we say this often at Redemption, all of life is all for Jesus. And so one way to embody and to grow our understanding of that is to take one aspect of culture. It could be politics. It could be art. It could be family. And to take that through the story and to really start to see that the gospel has something to say about all of these aspects, but it can be really easy to just focus on the fallen aspect of politics, which I think we do often, mm-hmm. and not think about the creational aspects of it. What did God create the political order for? Or not see the redemptive aspects that are potential in there. Um, and so taking it through the whole story of God and and really getting... Um, a sense for what God is doing in that, and then always getting to the end, and always getting to the point of saying, "What will this look like in the new creation? What will it look like when all things are made new? What it, what will politics be for?" So I think starting at creation, you know, feeling the weight of the fall, and seeing how at the center of the story Christ is redeeming all things. So that's yeah, yeah that's a kind of a summary.
0: Yeah, that's really good. So when you say take piece of culture through the lens of the gospel, I mean, let's do that just really quick, just for our listeners who've never heard that before. So politics, you know, let's take that to through the story. What's, uh, what's, what, where's the creational good in politics?
2: Oof. Okay. Throwing a curveball at me. In the beginning, God created all things. And oftentimes I think we can think about the natural world, like animals and the land and the sea and all those things. And then we can think about people made in his image. But we, what we don't see is the potential. God created this potential and this command for human culture and for human flourishing. So politics is the natural result of these cultures being created and the order that needs to be had through that. So politics is a way that societies can be managed reflective of the order of God. And then in the fall, one of the things that we see that's central to the fall or rebellion is another way of saying it is that Adam and Eve distrusted God and they rejected his authority and chose to, you know, thought that they they knew better. And so I think in politics, we see this on both sides. We see this abuse of authority and someone using politics for their own good at the neglect of the people that they're supposed to be, you know, leading. Um, or we see people just wanting to reject politics or reject authority through politics altogether. And then, in Israel, um, we see that God gave his law and he gave this order and revealed a lot of who he was um, through his justice and through his care for the vulnerable and the weak. And we said that there is a very particular shape to the politics of Israel because it reveals a God who has his eye on those who um, need to be advocated for and those who are hurting because of the result of sin and brokenness in the world. And then at the cross, we see this suffering king who is willing to give his whole life and suffer and be put on display um for the sake of his kingdom and for the sake of his people and his world and so the shape of politics is one of um of a people leading through through servant um I don't, servant leadership, I think, can become a tag word. But um, yeah, through this this um, servant nature and people responding in love and embodying um, the gospel. And then in the church, we see that we are called as a people blessed to be a blessing, to embody that shape of the kingdom. And then, but ultimately, one day, Christ is going to come and he is going to reign. And we no longer will have to wrestle with what is the right way to do these things, because it's all going to be according to his perfect reign.
0: Hmm. So I just turned off CNN or Fox News mad about something. And then I just take that through the the story and I walk away thinking, wow, God's authority is good Mm -hmm. and it's meant to bring flourishing for all of humanity and and authority is not something to be abused or rejected, but something to be used in a way that brings blessing to others. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And so just kind of rounding third and headed for home, in her book – Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, Adele Calhoun. We've talked about it before on a previous episode. She talks about the spiritual rhythm of teachability, this openness to learn from God, no matter who the teacher is or what the experience may be. Jake, why do you think that's important to have that spirit of teachability or that openness to new ideas?
1: Well, I think it's important because it's a practice in humility to begin with. One, to be teachable, you have to actually begin with going, I don't have it all together. I don't know everything. And also, it's a practice of paying attention to the presence of Christ everywhere, right? I mean, it is one challenge to see the presence of Christ throughout scripture. But to begin to try to see Christ and his spirit working throughout all of creation, throughout the church, it takes a level of listening and a level of practice that I think is helpful for us. Like if you are in a posture of teachability and aiming for that, then there is like no shortage of teaching opportunities anywhere. If Christ is the ruler and reigner and sustainer of creation, then if you're taking a walk somewhere and you are thinking through that lens, then you can be taught through God's creation and the things that you see, and God would begin to reveal himself through that. And some of those things happen naturally, and you do that through growing up. You touch a hot stove, you burn yourself, you realize that's a part of the world that I should pay attention to. But also, too, I think of uh, when you initially said this, I thought about the story of King David and, and Samuel, and even kind of like a radical, crazy example of this, where as he's walking with his soldiers, someone comes up and begins to berate him and accuse him and throw accusations at him. And one of his soldiers goes, hey, do you want me to go and just chop that dude's head off? Off and King David stops him and says, No, don't. It might be that the Lord is using or speaking through this right? And it and it doesn't necessarily have to be whether or not that man was saying something truthful, but it's the posture of maybe God is using this in some way. And we always have the word of God to check it against. And we always have the community to speak out loud and say, hey, I feel like God might be teaching me something like this for everybody to be able to weigh in on community. But having that posture is constantly keeping yourself open to and listening for the spirit as he moves.
0: That's really good. And, you know, ironically, one of the places I find it the most difficult to do that is when I'm around other Christians. And I don't mean all of you guys that are listening to the podcast. I love all of you at Redemption. (laughs) No, I mean people from other churches right i mean it, there's that weirdness when you step into another denomination or another tradition and they say and believe things that make you go ah oh, i don't know if that's right i don't uh, i don't necessarily believe that or you see the way they do worship or the way they do ministry and you're like ah oh, i don't know if if i actually agree with that and i see a lot of divisiveness in the church but there's something beautiful about stepping into a context like that with an open mind and just listening um i, I know goheen t- uh, dr goheen talks a lot about if we are critical of our own tradition and generous towards others, we'll still probably be a little bit too generous of our own tradition and a little bit too critical of others. But just having that mindset when you're interacting with people mm. um, who may be going to a completely different church, that do things completely different, having that posture of saying, what am I missing that they bring to the table? What aspect of God's manifold wisdom that he's displaying through the church has been given here that I can learn from? Mm. So, Tina, you have the last word. Oof what would you say to someone who's listening to this podcast and they're thinking wow that's a lot I I want to sit down and I want to do something I want to I want to implement some of these things what would be sort of your your coaching through that process
2: yeah I think first just want to reiterate what we talked about earlier and that knowing God is this beautiful invitation and he is so gracious we read in Hebrews that he is the full Jesus is the fullest revelation of God and so coming face-to-face with Christ and really meditating on the cross and the resurrection, his teachings, his kingdom, like Jake said earlier, starting in the Gospels and and just Really learning just, just like the disciples got to sit at Jesus' feet and learn from him. We are given this word that we get to do the same thing 2000 years later, which is, which is pretty amazing. So I think after this podcast, take five minutes and just thank God for his word. Thank God for how gracious he's been in showing himself to us and, and try to, I think, take that kind of mentality into what you want to do. So instead of rushing forward and trying to make a list and trying to start a plan, um, like Jake said, take it slow, um, do something that's reasonable and manageable. That you're not going to get discouraged by. And I really, I don't think I can emphasize enough how beneficial it is to do this in community. We are given the amazing gift of brothers and sisters, people that are wiser than us or that are more creative than us, or that simply just have a different perspective and ask a friend to meet up once a week and read a Psalm together. And pray over it. Try Lectio Divina, or commit to each other that you're going to read so much, just so you have someone else that's kind of doing it along with you. And just really pray and ask that that God is going to um, be gracious in the way that He meets you. The Holy Spirit is uh, is present in His Word and brings that to His people. And um, and lastly, I would just say, know that it's it's really hard for us to want to talk about obedience, but we know God as we respond to Him because. That is the relationship. We are his creatures. He is our creator. And as we respond to him in faithfulness, he reveals himself to us. He makes Christ present through it. And so just responding to God and saying like, okay, you're calling me to this. I'm going to respond in obedience. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't really feel good. But whatever that looks like, I'm going to wrestle through it.
0: That's really good. Man, what a great episode. Thank you guys so much for being on here. And um, and thank you guys for listening. And we will be back next week to finish out the Advent series of The Word. Awesome.
2: Thanks, see Thanks.